Geopolitics and Empire is joined by the founder of the most energetic anti-globalist movement of our time, founding director of Forum for Democracy in the Netherlands and best-selling author. I have to get his uh, new book written. It's got a foreword by Steve Bannon, uh, I believe. And welcome to Geopolitics and Empire, Thierry. Thank you. It's a great, it's a great pleasure to be with you tonight. Yeah, I, I, I love your work. I've been following you for uh, a while. I watched the fantastic uh, recent interview you gave. And, and I, I sort of feel you said it all in that interview. But uh, you, you said a lot of things, you know, everything I would basically say. We're the same age. Uh, I noticed uh, I studied diplomacy in Geneva, but decided to go into education. I think in the interview, you were a bit somewhat blackpilled in the sense that it seemed like the globalist power seemed to be taking control of uh everything but we still have to speak the truth i i feel similarly we'll we'll, we'll get to that but just you know real quick what, what motivated you how did you end up founding uh fvd and getting into politics yeah so i'm a, a guy from the netherlands i live in amsterdam i grew up uh thinking of myself as a classical pianist i studied classical music uh, philosophy, I was reading literature, I wasn't a very political guy, but gradually in my 20s I gravitated towards politics. I started studying law and history, I started doing a PhD in political philosophy, and I felt that uh, I, you know, I, had to, I had to speak out, because I, I, I realized that the world that I loved, the European world, the aesthetic world of European cities that we can all experience when we walk through Paris or, or Amsterdam or Berlin or London or wherever, uh, was under threat, that our social cohesion was under threat because of mass immigration, that the, the landscape was increasingly being destroyed by windmills and, and our economic life was being destroyed by rising energy costs because of the stupid and ridiculous and un completely unfounded climate change mystique i felt that we were in, in, engaging in wars in, in 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 far away parts of the world that we didn't have any reason to be involved with so across the board i felt that we are we were losing the world that i felt i had inherited from my parents and grandparents and and, and ancestors in general and that it it felt trivial and decadent and a luxury i couldn't afford not to be involved in politics so that is why in the course of my 20s i i felt that i i needed to do more so i founded a think tank which i after some deliberation decided to call forum for democracy and the reason that I called it that is that I was deeply impressed by the works of uh, Alexis de Tocqueville, the great French philosopher who wrote about America, who wrote about democracy, and he felt that we lived, we were living in the, we were entering. He was writing in the half of the 19th century, so more than 150 years ago. But he was he was writing, we're entering the democratic age, and if you're for democracy. You need to understand that democracy carries great uh, promises with it, great opportunities, obviously, but also a great threat, which is the threat of a, um, a gradual egalitarization of society where the state steps in and starts taking over more and more aspects of our lives. Uh, and we would enter uh, ultimately a kind of... Um, uh, democratic despotism uh, that he writes about and and so forum for democracy was meant in a Tocquevillian sense we live in a democratic age but we need to make the democracy into something that actually works for us and not into the kind of uh majority rule that suppresses minority rights that suppresses freedom of speech that suppresses uh different opinions and so on and so forth so uh that is that is why i came up with that name and in uh 2016 2015 2016 my organization it was a think tank at the time was uh deeply involved with organizing and campaigning in a referendum against the association agreement that the european union wanted to conclude with Ukraine. And uh, two-thirds of the Dutch 
population voted on April 6th, 2016, against that association agreement. Uh, so against the inclusion of Ukraine into the orbit of the EU and NATO, uh, very much because we felt in the Netherlands that if we would do so, we would enter into direct conflict with Russia and that was not in our interest and it would not be very wise for the West to do so and so on and so forth. And then the Dutch government uh, pushed through the association agreement anyway, signed it in the summer of 2016, and I felt myself confronted with the choice either to enter politics or to just leave the country and move to Mexico or wherever and uh, do something else in my life. And But I decided to cross the Rubicon and, and enter politics. So I participated in the elections. I ran for office for parliament in 2017. I got elected. I turned my think tank, my small think tank organization, academic organization, into a political party which uh, is now, in 2022, the largest political party in the Netherlands in terms of members. We participate in every field, you know, democratic field, in municipalities, in, in provinces, on the European, in the European Parliament, the Senate, and, and so on. Um, this year, we set up our first schools, our own schools. We have an educational institute, a Renaissance Institute. We have a, a publisher, Amsterdam Books. We have all kinds of, of things that we're we're organizing and so it's it's a significant organization in in the Netherlands in my country with the explicit aim to expand our network internationally and that is why I'm so excited to talk to you tonight and I really hope that some of the people that are watching this are interested in learning more because I feel that in order for us to beat the globalists we need to become globalists of sorts as well. Yeah. So that's yeah. very long. And sorry for the long introduction, but that's the whole story. A message from our sponsors. It seems we may be headed for the 1930s all over again. Financial collapse, tyranny, and world war. I've already secured multiple passports, offshore accounts, safe havens, and escaped to the sunnier shores of Mexico. My friend Mikkel Thorup of the Expat Money Show is hosting the Expat Money Summit with 30-plus experts that'll help you reclaim freedom in this fourth turning by moving your life and wealth offshore. Protect yourself and secure a new life abroad. Register now for free at expatmoneysummit.com or don't and enjoy surviving on insect protein while stuck in the metaverse. Since 2020, Ron Unz of Unz.com has argued the COVID outbreak was due to a U.S. biowarfare attack against China and Iran. Jeffrey Sachs, the Russian Ministry of Defense, and others are now making similar suggestions. Weeks before COVID appeared in Wuhan, a top U.S. biowarfare official ran the Crimson Contagion exercise on how to protect America against infection if a dangerous virus suddenly appeared in China. After COVID appeared in Wuhan, it jumped to Iran, infecting Iranian leadership only weeks after America had assassinated Iran's military commander. Iran publicly accused America of an illegal biowarfare attack and filed a complaint with the UN. Ron Unz has produced a free ebook and is available for interviews to further discuss this issue. And don't forget to fund Geopolitics and Empire. You can leave a donation, except on Patreon or PayPal, which have banned us, book a consultation, or become a member. Yeah, we have to become a global anti-globalist. My second guest in the road to mention the talk field, which is great. And uh, I think of terms like friendly fascism, others have said totalitarian democracy. That's sort of where yeah. we're uh, at. And, uh, you know, you've, you've talked about this before, but again, just to get your thought, um, you know, I've been around some of these global elites. I've met uh, and interviewed the late Dr. Robert Pastor of the Council on Foreign Relations, who was known as the father of the North American Union. I've interviewed uh, the late Canadian uh, Ambassador Alan Gottlieb, who was in charge of Trilateral Commission North America. I've even shaken hands uh, with the late Mr. Gorbachev, uh, who, who has called for world government. And I, I've hung out with Daniel Estelin, you know, who, who lives here in Mexico with me. Uh, he wrote the best-selling book on Bilderberg. And who are these global um, elites uh, as you see them? So, um, yeah, you, you've met some of these people and I'm sure they were uh, very polite and kind and, and uh, well-read and sort of serious people. There is a phenomenon which has been described uh, by uh, many uh, 
conservative philosophers, amongst others uh, Friedrich von Hayek, Frederick Hayek, in The Road to Serfdom and in a couple of other books, where there's a tendency for intellectuals, and also Robert Nozick, for example. Why do intellectuals oppose capitalism or free societies? Because there's a tendency for such nice people as you've met, intellectuals, to feel that central planning is much more efficient than the seemingly chaotic, decentralized world of today. And those people have entered a kind of collaboration with the American uh, intelligence organizations, the Secret Service, the Deep State, which obviously aims to control more and more elements of our lives in order to to rule us, in order to, 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 to better govern us. And, and that is, I think, what modern globalism is. There are intellectuals, there are well-meaning liberals, rather naive people perhaps, who genuinely feel that they can better understand our self-interests than we can understand our self-interests ourselves. And then there's the global deep state, which loves increased control. And anyone who hasn't, who's watching this podcast and who hasn't read Edward Snowden's book or hasn't watched Oliver Stone's movie about his book should definitely do either or both, read it or watch the movie, because what Edward Snowden has unveiled is something that everyone should Become, become, become aware of, become acquainted with, that the American deep states, the NSA, the CIA, all the other organizations are watching our every move. And the, the extent to which their algorithms can actually predict our behaviors is scary to a point that I, I'm not sure most people realize. But, so we have all these organizations with their uh, artificial intelligence, and then there are the the well-meaning liberals who come from universities who have been taught that central planning is more efficient than the chaotic decentralization that we have today, and and that fusion is what we call modern-day globalism. And the end point of that is a social credit system, a mass surveillance society uh, on the Chinese model. Yeah, I wanted to talk more uh, about that. And as you said, you know, the CIA used to be considered sort of a national uh, apparatus, but more and more you see the CIA is basically not American anymore. It's it's, it's globalist. It's carrying out all of these uh, regime change, color revolution um, operations all over the planet to basically centralize global uh, control. But you recently were in the news. Uh, you were calling out globalist elites within your own a government pointing out they went through the ringer and elites British imperial uh, spy schools. Um, as you mentioned, a lot of these um, globalist functionaries go through, you know, the, the British uh, Ivy League, uh, LSE, Oxford, uh, the American Ivy League. I used to work at the Mexican uh, I I Ivy League, the Tecnologico de Monterrey, which, which is ultra globalist. We've had Hillary Clinton and, and Bill Gates speak at the online graduation ceremonies. Al Gore has blessed us with his presence uh, on campus. And so, um, and a lot of these people are useful idiots. I, I call them, as you say, the, the, the um, one portion are useful idiots. Some know, I think, what they're doing. And for the people you were calling out in uh, the Netherlands, do you have any like definitive uh, evidence regarding their um Loyalties. I don't doubt that they are what what you say, but how do you view some of these elites in in the net in the Netherlands? I think their loyalties are defined sociologically rather than intellectually. Uh, so, uh, having been in politics for some years now, I think I, I can say with confidence that the uh, the the intellectual level of politicians is rather disappointing. They, they are not people who read books, who think seriously about issues. So, for example, when, when COVID arrived, um, it's our prime minister, what I would have expected a prime minister to do is say, look, we have a new situation. It's really difficult. 
I'm going to retreat for two weeks. I'm going to read 25 books on virology. I'm going to have 200 meetings with experts from around the world. And then I'm going to come up with my statement, with my position paper or whatever. And we're going to have a referendum about it. And then, and that's going to be the position of our country in this issue. There, the thought of doing such a thing didn't even occur in the minds of any prime minister in in our world, right? They they just they they, they read the New York Times and they were sort of looking around and oh Boris Johnson is doing this, okay, oh Trudeau is doing that, oh well let's do this, right? They have a sociological understanding of, of who they are and what they should do. And, and, and that is why uh, I think they are easily manipulated. So these people are simple people. They make maybe 100,000 euro a year or something or 150,000 euro a year being a politician. And they think that's a lot of money. And don't get me wrong, for a lot of people, that is a lot of money. But for very successful global rulers, that is not a lot of money. So it's it's they are very small players at the global level, but they are very easily and and quickly satisfied. They are very they feel that their life is really successful, you know, really successful because they make one hundred and fifty thousand euro a year, and they get into the press every now and then, and they can get to wear suits, and they 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 feel important. They're simple people who feel important, and that is I think that's enough for them that's that's just enough so they're very willing to do whatever is demanded from them by the the, the real powers behind the scenes the, the global financial institutions when the ceo of pfizer has a chat with them they're like oh well you're the medical expert right wow we're going to do what you say that's that's their brain. That's that's how they function. And I've known these people, such people. I I I should better say, I've 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 encountered them my entire life. At at high school, I encountered them. At the university, I encountered them. At the fraternities, the university, the college fraternities that we have in the Netherlands. I'm sure, you have them internationally as well. These these societies of quasi-elite, pretty rich boys, blah, blah, blah. You know the type. They're simple brains who, um, who are very astute socially, who look around, like, and they just go with the flow. And that's the le- uh, what I think is the level of our politicians in general. I mean, not just in the Netherlands, but in every demo- modern democratic country. And for the powers behind the scenes, that is a very comfortable situation because you can ba- you can basically get them to defend any policy that you like. You just present a couple of scientists in some kind of peer-reviewed magazine and they say that, whatever, hydroxychloroquine is dangerous, whatever, right? And they're like, oh, it's, you know, it's dangerous. We're going to outlaw it. And, and now there's no first-line medicine against COVID. So let's push the vaccine. They haven't, they, they have, they, they, they haven't got a clue. So I'm a, I'm, def, I'm a conspiracy theorist. I believe that we are being governed by a global conspiracy of evil reptiles. But I do not believe that national politicians are in on the conspiracy. As a friend of mine said, they are so stupid, you don't even have to bribe them. That's what I believe. They're so stupid, you don't even have to bribe them. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's a good or a bad thing. But I'm always disappointed at the level of our antagonists. And I remember when Batman The Dark Knight was first released. I think Batman The Dark Knight is the best movie ever to have been created in the history of cinema. But there was a critic who said, finally, Batman has the antagonist he deserves. Because 
Heath Ledger as the Joker was so good, so good, that finally Batman rose to his real proportions, you know? And I sometimes feel that you and I, we deserve better antagonists. Yeah. Why do our opponents have to be so mediocre, you know? Why, why, why do they have to be such dump heads? But it's the case. And the people continue to vote for them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd agree with your assessment. I've been around a lot of these people, narcissists, um, egotistical, yes, man, opportunists. Like they just um, go which, whichever way the wind uh, blows as well as the money. And maybe oh, to yeah. get... Maybe to get more into the um, agendas uh, of these um, people behind the, the scenes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for me, the main agenda is summarized in world government. You know, all roads lead to world government, you know, a global centralized system of control. They, they write about it. They call it global governance, but it's really global yes. government. Um, and they use, yeah. you know, so-called international terror, so-called pandemic, so-called weather problems you know climate and, and these are all pretexts and catalysts to push forward their global control i mean um the, the who pandemic treaty they tried it like a decade ago with the climate treaty lord moncton who i've interviewed uh attended one of the meetings and in the document it said you know they want to create a global institution to control all nations and just yesterday the ap reported that the un said that the ukraine was a blessing that people dying was a blessing because it pushes along their climate uh, agenda. And so, you, you, your further thoughts yes. on what are the what are the key things that these um, this sinister elite is is going for? I think it's just it's just more control across the board. So whether it's a, a control over our, our our currencies and our wealth in general by 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 First, now by debasing our currency, by printing money and having inflation, and then by introducing the CBDC, the Central Bank Digital Currency, which they run, or by introducing a personal carbon dioxide budget, or by creating supranational legislation, or by having a global Ministry of Health in the form of the World Health Organization. I think these are all elements of the same principle which is central control more power for them and and them is in essence a, a very limited group of people they are the, the people that and this is the interesting thing is that even though everything i say is considered to be far right this what i'm saying has been the critique of the left for decades that a very small percentage of the people in the world control more than 99% of all assets and all organizations in the world. So we are talking about a very small elite, global elite of perhaps 10,000 people who control essentially all the vital infrastructure in the world. And they demand that they, they want more control. That is what they're after. And I, uh, my view is, that the only global player who is opposing that is Vladimir Putin. So I'm a fan of Vladimir Putin. I think he is he is our he's the dark knight. He is the the hero we we need. He is the man who is exposing the globalists. That's what he's already doing. Because why are these stupid yellow blue flags everywhere? You know, I didn't see those flags. I see Yemenite flags. I didn't see Afghani flags. I didn't see Iraqi flags. I didn't see Libyan flags. There is something particular about Ukraine, which is that it's a stronghold of the, the global deep state. That's that's why the whole West is going berserk over this. Uh, in essence, regional conflict. You know, just a couple of territories, former Soviet Union, a very technical, historical question. So why is everybody going crazy? Because a lot more is at stake. So he's already exposing them. So basically, the special military operation is already a success because he's exposing the beast. And I think he's going to win. 
And if he wins, then it will mean that the, the defeat of the of the globalist movement of the American empire and um, the coming about of a multipolar world, which in my view, because I'm a, I'm a cynic and a Machiavellian and a Burnhamite, James Burnham was a great political philosopher. I, I really advise all the viewers to look him up. But James Burnham wrote a book called The Machiavellians. And he argues, it's in the 1950s, he argues that free societies are societies where multiple powers compete with one another. And if you have competition between several powers, then there will be constant vacuums. There will be constant stillmate situations where freedom can occur. And democracy is a monolithic system. So aristocracy is a pluriform system. You have the count of this and the duke of that and the monarch and the emperor and the church and, and the guilds and, the, and so on and the cities that are, have independent legislative uh, capacities. So you get, you get sort of competition between all these powers and, and, and therefore you get freedom. And what happened after the fall of the Berlin Wall um, and the end of history uh, and so on is that we, we, we entered a uni, unipolar world. And the, and the danger of that is precisely what we witness today. You get mass surveillance, you get complete control, you get a, a small group of people who centralize all the powers of production, all the wealth, and so on, and freedom disappears completely. So what I hope will be the outcome, ultimately, of the conflict in Ukraine is a multipolar world where several power blocks will compete with one another, and we will be able to play them out, we as individuals, be able to play them out against each other and so achieve individual liberty. Yeah, I... That's I, my grand geopolitical viewpoint. Yeah, yeah I have guests on. I, I'm sort of on the fence. I'm, I'm hoping what you're saying is true. I have guests on that say Putin is kicking against uh, the pricks, uh, to borrow a phrase from the Old uh, Testament, and others say that, no, he's, he's with... Um, uh, Davos, you know, we know in Russia, there's this, every country has this fifth column. And, you know, there's people like Herman Graf of the Spare Bank implementing these, you know, Davos technocratic policies. Some say that the head of the Russian Central Bank is a, an, an IMF um, a puppet. Alexander Dugin just came out and said that the role of Russia as an empire is as a catacon, catacon that keeps all of humanity from falling into the abyss. It's this mission that is manifesting itself today as Russia openly confronts the satanic forces of the West, that the imperial awakening of Russia is called upon to be a signal for the universal uprising of peoples and cultures against the liberal globalist uh, and elites. So, um, you know, any further thoughts there? You, you think that then, um, you know, regardless of there's, you know, fifth columnists in Russia, but Putin seems to be taking on uh, the beast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't know the answer, of course. I think both are possible. Uh, so either uh, Putin is what I think he is, which is a a defender of 19th century Europe, the 19th century world. So the the Christian uh, concert of European nations, as it was called at the time, the concert of the multipolar polarity of the, of the European world with tr traditional families, with nation states, with sovereignty, with fossil fuels, with um, uh, a, a certain... Um, aspirational uh, feeling about its mission in the world, uh, a certain uh, civilizational mission. Uh, uh, for example, when he, when the Russian troops uh, liberated, I believe it was Aleppo uh, or, or another place in Syria, not Aleppo, but another place. I, I'm, I'm just get, trying to think of the name, but where all the ISIS execution had taken, executions had taken place, he flew in Valery Gergiev and the Russian, the Moscow Symphony Orchestra to play Bach. I think that was very telling. That was a 
that was the moment that, 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 that really showed to me that he felt Russia had a civilizational mission and wasn't just a, an ordinary power broker in the world. So that's my, my belief. I've, I've, I've read a couple of biographies about Putin. And I've studied whatever I could to, to understand about his life. And I, I genuinely think that. But I may be wrong. And you know, if it's not true that he is the kind of civilizational 19th century European, but rather an ordinary power-hungry guy, um, which I have no way to falsify in any serious way. But even if that were true, I still think it would be a good thing for the American empire to fall. Because in, in still a multipolar world would come about. And, and that multipolarity in itself is a good thing. So I, I just, I want the world to be organized in a less centralized way. I, I want to get rid of the EU, NATO, the United Nations, human rights, the European Court of Human Rights, the World Health Organization, all these centralized globalist projects. I, I want to, to do away with that. The Paris Climate Accords, the Marrakesh Immigration Treaty, the World Economic Forum, the Bilderberg Conferences, and so on and so forth, the Bank of International Settlements in Basel, all these things. And so even if Putin is actually the villain that some of his antagonists, his opponents, say he is, I still think that it would be a good thing if Russia would win against the current imperial uh, force, America, because a, a decentralized world is a, is a freer world. Yeah, I, I've had on um, Johan Galtung, the, the founder of Peace and Conflict Studies, and I like what he says. Uh, I love the American Republic. I hate the American uh, Empire. And one of my professor, yeah. yeah, one of my professors, uh, UN Special Reporter uh, Alfred Desai, has just pu published a book from Clarity on uh, the human rights scam. How basically, you know, NGOs and, and, and human rights are weaponized by American uh, Empire. And maybe to to touch on the cultural aspect uh, as well the, the the spiritual the cultural uh globalist uh agenda you know to borrow words from president putin he recently uh called uh out this agenda from a cultural perspective satanic uh, you know no gender no family no real food no travel or transport no uh god and, and, and inversion and perversion of, of everything what do you make of this sort of the, the cultural part of what the west is shoving down everyone's throats you know transgender all of this uh stuff yeah, well, I'm not sure if, if, if you mean to ask cultural or if you mean metaphysical. Uh, there, again, this is a subject that I'm not sure I, I, I'm, I'm very knowledgeable about, but I, I do witness there is a certain Satanism. There's a, there's a joy in calling the black white and the white black as it said in the old testament the light dark and the dark light um i i'm i i don't know a lot about the occult but it does feel to me that there is a a very dark fascination And that the number of symbols that one sees from popular culture and modern artists like uh, Abramovich and, and others, and you just witness things and you see things. And, and it, it seems to be more than just coincidence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also with the uh, you know, the pedophilia that we can witness in, in, in YouTube algorithms and um, obviously I don't I don't know any any more than you or any of our viewers but I do have my eyes open and I do see that it doesn't make sense to me it's not logical it's there's something there most political leaders are also without families 
most often they are without children, or at least without children of their own. Um, yeah, there's there's something going on there. Yeah, but I don't know what it is, and I'm I'm not sure it's it would be if I knew. I'm not sure it would be wise to talk about it. But yeah. Yeah, as you said, metaphysical. Uh, um, and so, yeah, there's something else that, that fascinates me. And to get back to what you were saying uh, before, m- my biggest concern the last two years has been what I call, you know, COVID-1984, the, the tyranny of the biosecurity state, the digital ID, aka digital passport, aka social credit system. They're attempting to implement with, implement with the excuse of the pandemic climate, you know, whatever they want. And uh, I've seen around, I was in Kazakhstan when this all broke out and you know the government gave us a little card i felt like i was back in the soviet union and it gave, they gave us a card that said one day no one can leave from your apartment the next day only one person from the household can leave and only go to the pharmacy bank or, or supermarket and there were police patrols and it was totally dystopian and w- we all know people who were kicked from their jobs even in some places in mexico they proposed uh, you know you couldn't go into the supermarket if you were didn't have your vaccine uh, passport even to a natural a public park it was in Tlaxcala the tiny little state of of of, of Mexico they, they proposed this absolutely insane so w- what do you make of and this would be like what Aldo Huxley said the final revolution if they implemented this in this system in because uh, I like to call it the algorithm ghetto uh, you know you wouldn't be able to buy or sell uh, kind of like the book yeah. of Revelation says what, what do you make um, of them trying to push in this cashless society um, and, and how they're you know advancing on it and, and you know any, any other thoughts on this well well it all fits into the same mindset it's complete control over uh, all these people living their irrational individual lives and how are we able to control them I mean that's what they are thinking. And that's why they're implementing all these things. That's why they love them. And I get back to my previous point. The, the only power in the world that, that can be a serious opponent to this is Russia, to me. And that's why the West is waging this all-out war against Russia. Uh, and that's why I feel... It's so important for me to speak out because I think I'm the only one who is speaking out like this in the world. I'm the only one who's saying Putin is a hero and he must win. And we must do whatever we can to support him because he is fighting our fight. And um, yeah, it's weird that I'm I'm always the only one who says these things. I was I'm, I was the only elected politician in the world to oppose every element of the COVID measures. The only one. There hasn't been one in Mexico. There hasn't been one in the United States, in Canada, in Britain, in France, in Germany, nowhere. Been the only one. And again, so, and this is something, this is a very hard thing to say perhaps, but if we consider ourselves the resistance and and, and the, the, the counter movement against the globalists, we must develop a little bit more courage and and speak out more we can't we can't just sit on the side and say uh, oh it's not our war uh, we just want peace talks or um, um let's let's leave the covid discussions to the medics to the scientists that's what everyone was everybody's so cowardice so yeah, cowardice that's been been my the first year of the so-called pandemic i was getting depressed and angry pacing around the house and you know i was one of the few in my vicinity refusing to wear masks refusing to go along with this and i just couldn't believe how many people just couldn't see the tyranny and were just masking up not asking questions good little uh slaves it's just we need more courageous person people as you say yeah um I also want to touch on the EU. Uh, I'm an EU citizen, unfortunately, a, a Croatian. And then just like you said, I, I wish the EU would collapse. It's an anti-democratic, technocratic construct. Uh, Soviet dissidents like Bukowski have called it the new European Soviet. Uh, but recently, the uh, Forum for Democracy International director, John Laughlin, was detained in London by uh, by the uh, 
British anti-terrorism police. His laptop was confiscated. I, I don't doubt that they probably downloaded the contents. And uh, John Laughlin said Europe is descending into dictatorship. I've been sensing this for two decades. You know, any, any further thought on you know what happened to to him? Yeah. So um, Forum for Democracy is not just a, a national organization, but we also have an international organization, which is led by John Laughlin. He is a fantastic uh, human being, intellectual. He has written seminal books. Uh, the the book on the EU, which is called The Tainted Source. He's written the book on uh, former Yugoslavia, as, as I'm sure you you're, you know, it's called Travesty. It's a, it's a very, very good book, I think, about the miscarriage of of, of international law that NATO, you know, the, 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 the criminal uh, assault on Serbia carried out by NATO. And um, uh, John Lochland is a, is a very, very special uh, man who is an independent thinker. And he has been traveling. He, he flew to London uh, this weekend, last weekend. And indeed, he was detained. He was uh, questioned for being a, a Russian spy and all these ridiculous things. And without any arrest warrant, without any search warrant, without any formal charge against him, they confiscated his possessions. His laptop. Uh, they detained him for some time uh, at the airport and questioned him. And and this is something I mean, it, we all we all know how all these legislations came to pass because of false flag attacks like nine eleven, which was a fake, complete fake, and other false flag, mostly false flag terrorist attacks. Have you witnessed how well the terrorists? kept to the COVID-19 rules, huh? Yeah. Obviously, they didn't want to, uh, to, to to organize any bombings because, you know, you might challenge the one and a half meter social distancing, right? You don't want to do that. So I don't, I don't believe a word of any of that anymore. And I feel deeply, deeply ashamed for institutions like Guantanamo Bay. And I think the United States has lost its all of his, its moral high ground for centuries to come. I think really all of us in the West should um, should feel deeply, deeply ashamed for institutions like that. But anyway, so this is what happened to John Laughlin. Apparently they can do these things without any charge. And I would like to call on all people of goodwill who listen to this, who see this, and to think about what this means if we're apparently entering an age where without any charge, there's no charge being pressed, no, no, no charge at all, authorities can just isolate an individual and say, look, we found these articles on Google and the artificial intelligence algorithm indicated to us we don't know why exactly but it indicated to us that you might be a threat to our national security blah 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 therefore we need to detain you you're going to miss your connecting flight the costs are for you we're going to take your laptop i'm sorry we're going to indeed download all of your personal information we're going to know what mistresses you have what secret diaries you keep what what private uh, uh, thoughts and ideas you might have. We're going to know everything about your life simply because the system has pointed out to us that you might be a threat to national security. There's no charge. There's no public prosecutor involved. There's no judge. There's no, you have no right. You have, don't have a right to a, a lawyer or a barrister or anything. This should worry all of us, even if you happen to dislike John Lochland, or you dislike me, or you, you don't agree with our positions about whatever, that's not the point. The point is that we're entering an age of lawlessness. And, and that's precisely what happened with the COVID, because of some emergency. The government said it was a, a national health emergency. All our fundamental civic rights were just rushed aside. 
they, they, they didn't exist anymore. It was gone. And then there were there, there were scientists, a couple of scientists who were the national outbreak management team or whatever, and they decided what would be fake news and what would be the truth, and the government decided on that, that social media would comply, and blah, blah, blah. These are very clear signs of totalitarianism. And even if you disagree on every political item, this is a meta-political point that I'm making. And I'm, I'm serious about this. I really think that if people don't realize this, that freedom either applies to all of us or it doesn't mean anything. If, if that fundamental point is not understood and fought for, then we're going to lose it. And we're going to all suffer from the consequences of that. I, yeah, I totally agree. Uh, I'm probably on a you American um, watch list. I've, I, I've had guests on, you know, every time you travel to the US, they do a second extra check. They put the four S's on your uh, boarding pass. But anyways, um, do, you, do you see a tide turning? Sweden voted uh, right. Italy just got uh, Georgia, Georgia Meloni. Um, given everything we've talking about, you know, do you see a tide turning and no. as, as, as plebes? You know, what, what do we do? How do we resist, fight, and win? Sorry, am I still here? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You can continue, yeah. No, I, I'm... Although I think it's... I, I, I'd rather have Georgia Maloney in Italy than the communists, or I'd rather have the Swedish Democrats in Sweden than the socialists. I, I don't think that... Um, these politicians represent a change in the tide. They're all vaccinated. They're all pro-NATO. They're all supporting Ukraine. They're all accepting the climate change narrative, but they just want more nuclear power, right? That they accept the carbon dioxide as a problem and blah, blah, blah. So this is what I call systemic opposition. They are or controlled opposition. They are part of essentially part of the same ideological trend. They're part of the same mega trend. They support the mega trend. They support globalism. But they just want a little bit less and a little bit slower. And that is why uh, I, th I think only radicals have something meaningful to say. Only outsiders have something meaningful to say today. Yeah, I, I would. Um, I I'd agree with you. And um, I, I, a, a lot of people call me black pilled. I guess you know, the, from the spiritual perspective, my white pill is be I believe in, in God and, and and Jesus Christ. And then in the end, on the metaphysical plane, things turn out uh, well. Just not on this physical plane. I just see this trend that we're edging always toward this global uh, dystopia um you know any further thoughts on 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 that or, or or final thoughts for us um uh well after the black pill there's a there's a white pill uh, which is uh, the parallel society so uh, leaving metaphysics aside I, I'm I, I'm more of a pagan myself than a Christian. I find Christianity lacking in masculinity, uh, and yeah, it's too much of a loser loser religion to me. Lo loser ideology, turning the other cheek. Always that cross, always that suffering. I mean, where are successes? Where is the fight? You know. But um, the light is changing. Sorry, the uh, battery of the the lamp is gone. It's it's a uh, you know this is the climate change. This climate. Change. Um, but do you still see me? Can I continue? Yeah, yeah it's fine. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I'm more of a pagan. I I I I I, I rather like the uh, the Roman approach, pantheist approach. But the, the white pill that I that makes me get up in the morning and makes me you know happy about things is that you and I are chatting right now. 
and we're connecting. I, I'm sure we, 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 I feel very friendly about you. And I feel that we have lots of, this is the first time we're talking, the first time we're meeting. We haven't met before, but our, our brains have, def, have gone along more or less the same path, I feel. And there are people across the world who, who, who share that. And we are connecting. And we are going to do, we are going to do something. If, even if we lose in the political sense, we are going to build something. We are going to connect. They are not going to be able to silence all of us. And um, yeah, that gives me hope. Yeah, and parallel, as you said, parallel structures, societies, that's been a running theme on this podcast and uh where's the best way uh, i'll include all the links in the description but you know for people listening the best way to find you uh online your your projects you got a new book and and, and ways to support your work so amsterdambooks.com is where they can people can order my books uh see what i've been doing i'm followable on twitter cherry baudet is is my name on twitter um, you can you can follow us on FVD International. That's Forum Victory Democracy International dot com, and um, uh, Instagram, Telegram. I'm basically everywhere. And and uh, you know, for FVD International, we don't have to be Dutch citizens. Foreigners can donate to support FVD International, right? Absolutely, and they can subscribe to our newsletter, and they can post articles and they can engage and we're really trying to build a global network here all right well thank you uh terry it's i mean it's kind of depressing what we're talking about but fascinating at the same time these are the times that we live in we gotta you know buckle up man up uh, as you say and uh again uh, keep up the great work and thank you for being on geopolitics and empire thank you for this interview have a good night I hope you enjoyed this Geopolitics and Empire podcast. The website is geopoliticsandempire.com, and I encourage you to sign up for the free email list that goes out with each podcast and every weekend with a collection of news headlines. The newsletter and website are our last lines of defense. We're being censored and deplatformed. It's nearly impossible to find Geopolitics and Empire on the Google search engine. We've been blacklisted. YouTube frequently takes down our videos with strikes, Facebook restricts our page, Reddit and Twitter take down posts, and after the Associated Press mentioned geopolitics and empire in a 2021 article co-written with NATO, our Patreon account was terminated. Vimeo also terminated our Pro account. The best free way to help geopolitics and empire is to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or elsewhere and subscribe to all of our media channels. You can find the video broadcast now on five platforms, Odyssey, Rockfin, Rumble, BitChute, and Brighteon. You can find the audio broadcast on the podcast ecosystem, SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, and so on. My current favorite social media channels are Twitter and Telegram, but you can also find us on Gab, MeWe, Minds, Float, VK, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Finally, Geopolitics and Empire is in dire need of funding to continue. You can leave a donation, purchase a consultation with the host, or become a member to receive additional benefits. We also produce a weekly broadcast called Dissident Thinker for members and Rockfin subscribers only. We will continue to fight the good fight come hell or high water. Thank you for listening.